the project Kuwait learn I enjoyed how he talked about training for strongman and powerlifting simultaneously kind of highlighting the importance of recovery throughout all of it. I think you just had some really great insight for sure on what the fitness industry is lacking or some of the things that he wish he could change. And I think that's something that is pretty on par with why we started this podcast. It's kind of the same idea of, you know, there's a lot of bullshit to sift through. And I think he gives some really cool insight to strength training and powerlifting and just the competitor mindset. So I got a lot out of the chat, some good resources, I think, to kind of follow up with and a great method for most people in their training of pick the lowest hanging fruit, I think was kind of the theme of the chat. For all the single ladies out there, he trains a lot of divorce guys. So you can reach out to this guy. See if you can get like a little black book. He's from getting him. the middle-aged divorce men on the up and up. But so. uh, he's all around an awesome dude. And he can lift some serious freaking weight. So I'd love the whole strongman bit. Like if I could die and come back, I'd come back as a strongman. But moving on from that yeah. to our t-shirt winner for this episode, King of the Gulf. And the reason why I like his review, because he said, I love this show. Mehdi is so funny and full of shit. So he got something right. <laughs> so, dude, send me an email and let me know what your address is. And I'll either deliver it to you because, I don't know, I'll just probably deliver it to you, man. <laughs> but thanks, thanks guys. Thanks for leaving the review. I know. Yeah. Thanks for leaving the review. Enjoy the show, guys. All this and more in today's episode. Dan Mason. What is up? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Power lifter, MMA, CrossFitter. I saw you wearing a kilt too. <laughs> what was that one all yeah. about? So I did one Highlander competition, which is just nine throwing events. And Highlander is kind of a combination of the easy throws from Highland Games and then some strongman things. So one of the requirements, just like in powerlifting, you have to have a singlet. In a Highland Games event, you have to have a kilt. So I only did that one competition, but I figured... I got it. I might as well wear it whenever I do strongman. So <laughs> that's kind of how that came about. I just found out the other day I was going over some like video recording requirements. And the person was telling me that if I wanted to wear a singlet, that would be fine. And this is health education. I was like, why would I wear a singlet for this conversation? Well, they're from Australia and a singlet there is just a tank top or, you know, oh. but to oh, us, gotcha. it's like the spandex. Like, You're like, I'm going to wear the I know. Block. I was like, why would train, I need to wear a train, singlet? I was so confused. Train like you compete, right? <laughs> that was so, great. So wait, my question about the kilt, were you free balling? Did you actually do it Irish style or Scottish style so, or whatever man, it is? I would because I'm not ashamed of nothing, but I used to just wear underwear underneath it. You get what you get. All right. <laughs> My wife's sitting over here. She's, She's like, how could you ask that? <laughs> I think there's a too. friend of mine, Jessica Fithin, who just actually won Strongest Woman in the World two or three weeks ago out in Alaska. Nice. She was one of the judges at a strongman show I was doing. And normally I change into like just normal shorts when we do stones, just because you can use that sticky stuff that kind of helps. And with the kilt, it flies way up and attaches to the stone shorts. <laughs> so I was like underwear flying right in her face the whole time. Bunch of and she like freeze framed it and posted it. I was like, you son of a gun. <laughs> oh, that's epic, dude. That is amazing. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where did it all get started, man? So I kind of got started in martial arts at like a pretty young age. For those who are U.S. listeners, I grew up in Detroit, kind of like in the city. 
when I was really small growing up. Like I was always the shortest kid in class. So I got picked on a lot. So my parents kind of got me into that to build up some confidence and just not get beat up all the time. So that's kind of where it all started. Was successful at that. I've always been really competitive. So competed in that from age 11, started competing age 13, and basically did that all the way up through my mid-20s, delving into MMA and stuff after that. After that, I just had kids, got married, just wasn't flying as well. The wife and the kids kind of mellowed me out. So I could never get back into like the same headspace I needed to to compete at that. So transitioned over into CrossFit, which kind of scratched the competitive and like the feeling of dying while you're training that scratched that itch real well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Ended up opening a CrossFit gym, did that for about four years and then sold it. Basically, once I found strength sports, And that I was definitely a little more gifted in that than the more endurance side of CrossFit. That's kind of what's taken me through to today. So jumping into some of the strength stuff, Travis Mash. Can you talk about him a little bit? Yeah. So I met Travis actually through a buddy of mine that hosted a podcast for a long time, still does. John North, weightlifting champion, 2010-ish era. Kind of right when CrossFit was starting to blow up and weightlifting started to blow up as well. And ended up hanging out with him and meeting with him a few times, went on some trips that he was putting on. And then through him, he ended up training at Travis Mash's gym. So I joined their online team and then they kind of split and I just stayed with Travis. I went and visited over there a couple of times. And once I was there, I was going about once a week for like three months. And it's about a 10 hour drive each way from where I live. And he was like, dude, why don't you just move here and train on the team? Like you're strong, you're good enough. Let's see what we can do. I ended up doing that a couple months later. Travis Mash, for those who don't know his background, his background was originally Olympic lifting. And then his dad got sick, so he moved home. Didn't really have a place to train that. So he ended up doing powerlifting. And in the early 2000s, was one of the top guys in the world. Had some world records. Beat Ed Cohen in competition once. And then Ed Cohen immediately beat him again. (laughs) (laughs) He's the real deal, man. Like He was a a world-class strength athlete. And he's gotten into coaching more weightlifting than anything. And he's put 22 people on the world team for Olympic lifting. And then at least two people that I know of that he's taken to worlds from the powerlifting side. Impressive. So yes, I think they just did worlds. And I think he had eight athletes at worlds this year for weightlifting. What is the process for someone qualifying for Mm. worlds or powerlifting? Powerlifting, way easier than uh, weightlifting. You just have to hit a certain total. Um. If you've been in powerlifting for any amount of time, you realize there's a million different federations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's basically two that are kind of the big ones. And that's the IPL and the IPF, if you're international. And they each have their national affiliates as well. But their qualification totals actually aren't that bad. So I'm a 275 weight class or 125 kilo, depending on where you're from. And for me, I think it's like a 1638 pound total. I don't know what that is in kilo. Is what will qualify you for worlds, which... I mean, it's strong. It's not like you're weak, but it's not like if you come in with that total, you're not winning worlds by like hundreds of pounds, (laughs) you know? So definitely a bigger deal to qualify for worlds for weightlifting than it would be for powerlifting. And there's the whole extra process. I'm not really sure how that goes there, but powerlifting is just based on your total. Okay. All right. That's pretty cool. So what got you there? I mean, you went to Worlds in 2016, I saw, right? So I'd been kind of training with Travis online for a while, and his programming's really good. He kind of threads that needle of almost more than you can handle, but just enough breaks that you get better. So he kind of, he's really good at threading that line of disaster and success <laughs> really well. That's an art. Yeah, he's probably the best person I've ever trained with as far as that goes, like threading that needle, which is huge. And then on top of that, 
when I really started putting attention to my recovery, so actually sleeping eight or nine hours a night, actually getting enough protein. And as long as you don't care about being super lean, as long as you're hitting your protein numbers and get enough sleep, you're going to recover real well. Now, if you have to lean out, then you got to pay a little more attention. But I tend to have to eat everything I can to stay this heavy. So, but yeah, I'd say his programming and then just paying attention to the recovery side. So what was your recovery routine like? Or I guess, what did you find the most effective for recovery techniques? So I started experimenting with uh, protein loading and carbohydrate loading post-workout. And that seemed to do the job of a couple things. When I'm a little higher carbohydrate after the workout, it basically puts me in that carb coma mode. So I tend to just drop like a log yeah. when it's time to sleep. And I've tried all the different diet modes, but for me, relatively high protein and then post-workout, smashing some quick digesting, not necessarily great for you carbs, does the job to just get a bunch of calories in and yeah. crash you out at night. In the off-season, I guess, or like in a low period of training or anything like that, what kind of differences does training and recovery and nutrition look like for you? So I am actually going to experience my first off-season in about oh, three wow. years in January. I kind of bounce back and forth between strongman and mm -hmm. powerlifting. And it seems like whenever I do it, they're all like a month apart. So I had a meet three or four weeks ago at a powerlifting meet. And then I have a strongman show this weekend. And then I have another strongman show at the end of October. So wow. when I'm having like an off season, honestly, I let my weight creep up a little more because my volume's a lot higher. So I'll get a pretty good amount of hypertrophy. And I just don't focus in on the diet super hard. So I kind of just eat whatever I want. Yeah. When I start peaking for a meet, I tend to pay attention to the nutrition side a lot more to get into whatever weight class I'm trying to get into. So a lot of people, I feel like in the off season, they kind of get lazy and, and lean out and things. But in my off seasons, the few that I've had, I've tended like, to gain a lot of weight just because I stay in hypertrophy phase a lot longer and I eat a lot more. Okay. I just always find that interesting of like kind of the culture of the strongman or powerlifting when those there's those weight classes that you have to, you know, maintain or right. <laughs> and just kind of what are the effects of nutrition and recovery on that and just kind of the culture of food choices within that. Right. Well, and that being said, I try to stay in the 275 class for powerlifting because mm -hmm. we're basically just fatter 242 pound guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the numbers, like the numbers really aren't that far apart. There's definitely a different in bench pressing, right. uh, which makes sense because thicker torso from being a little heavier, you're going to have better range of right. motion. But if I go to like a national level show or a world level show, I'll do better as a 275 than I will as a 242. And I'm still relatively lean. When I'm at 275 on the button, I, I have some abs. So mm -hmm. I'm not one of the fatter 275s out there, but there's a lot more <laughs> fat 275s than there are 242s. <laughs> so I tend to beat those guys. Oh, that awesome. makes sense. Training yeah. for both like the strongman and the powerlifting, what are some of the staples, I guess, between that you find that is going to help prepare you for one or the other? You know what I mean? Like you, you Yeah. So, you know, if you're getting a 12-week prep for each, you'd want to do a 12-week prep for a powerlifting show. And then maybe 12 weeks later, do a strongman okay. show. Sometimes it works out like that. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. For me, and when I'm working with athletes that are like newer to strongman, I program the events a lot more frequently okay. just because a 12-inch log is different than a 28-millimeter barbell. Really? All the positions are yeah. different. So you just have to get used to the strongman equipment because it's kind of awkward. But if you've competed in strongman for a couple of years and you've done your time learning the technical aspects, you shouldn't have to spend a ton of time. And then as you get closer to your meet, throw in the events that are in the meet just so you're like, oh, yeah, I remember how to do a log. Oh, yeah, I remember how to do a keg press, stuff like that. So typically for me, I'll train normal barbell stuff regardless 
And then a couple of weeks out, I'll start throwing in the events just to get the motor pattern yeah. back. Now, if I'm training for a strongman show specifically, I will tend to train a little more reppy than for a powerlifting meet as I get closer to peaking. Just because strongman, by and large, is more of a contest of a five rep max kind of strength versus powerlifting being an actual mm-hmm. one rep max. And I get crap in the strongman community for this, but strongman is CrossFit. <laughs> it's just like the heavy, short CrossFit so workout. Like it, so really is. it really is. Yeah. It's like we'll go 60 to 90 seconds, but it'll be heavy as hell. Something that's like 90-ish percent of what your max is. Those were always my CrossFit favorite CrossFit going, workouts. <laughs> I wanted yeah, it heavy and loves short. Those, I mean, I mean dude, I, I joke, I joke around at, all man. the time about uh, Brian Shaw. <laughs> running ladder drills just to stay sharp and fast right. and he's like he's insane dude it's yep. like this well, huge guy that can run a ladder it's a huge part so when i compete strongman if you have enough people competing like at nationals there's a 265 pound class and i'll hang out in there but local shows heavyweight is 232 to 300 mm-hmm. pounds so when i compete i'm like the lightest guy in my class anyone that's 250 or lower is going to cut to 231 Anyone that's above 250, which is basically just me whenever I compete, is going to be in the 300 guy class. So when I win strongman shows and trying to remember the last local show I did that I lost, like I typically win them, it's because of the athletic side. Like there's always a carry medley. The last show I did had a uh, 250 pound keg carry, then like 175 pound circus dumbbell. They have like a a three inch handle and it's awkward. And then a 300 keg run back and then a log press at like 280 or something oh wow there were tons of guys in that show that are stronger than me that'll beat me on log but no one's gonna beat me transitioning between the events like i just move fast and there's usually two events that kind of speed of transition matter in strongman per competition and there's usually two events where overhead strength matter and those are kind of my two good things and then there's one event that i usually lose (laughs) (laughs) which event's that it depends on if it's a heavy show. If it's a lighter show, it'll be any uh, like yoke carry, things like that. Because the guys that are 300 pounds in my class, usually 6'3-ish, oh, yeah. 300 pounds. Yeah, I'm 5'11", 270. So I'm giving up like three inches every step. So I can move in just as fast as them, but I'm still going to lose. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of why I went more toward powerlifting for my bigger shows and strongman just for fun, just because at the high level, I'm more competitive powerlifting. So I, I love how you covered the strongman training. I think I think that really shed a lot of light on that. What about the powerlifting? Because I think, hey, you can talk more about that in terms of the powerlifting and what your training was and what the powerlifters training was oh, and sort of okay. get Dan's opinion on this. Because I think my wife, hey, was trained by a CrossFit coach, a strength and conditioning okay. coach. And her style, you can, I mean, you go into that. That's No, it was completely different because when I went to a powerlifting gym, they would do their strength work and then another exercise and then an accessory move. And that was it. It was like 30, 40 minutes. They were in, they were out. Whereas Mm -hmm. I'm in there for a good two hours because it's my strength work and then a ton of accessory movements. I think it just kind of depends on the person too. If you're a female and you're a lighter weight class, you can just handle a lot more volume typically than like a guy my size, bigger guys are going to be able to handle. And that's not because girls are weak or anything like that. It's just differences between guys and girls. You can see it on data points plotted out, like the difference in volume that a female can handle versus a dude, even if they're in the same weight class. I'm not sciencey enough to know the answers to all that. 
I was going to say like women are just typically more. And I just know this from some of my Olympic lifting days is that like we can do more reps closer to our one rep max, like our, you know, five to seven, whereas a guy is going to, that gap between those numbers is going to be a lot smaller. Whereas we can go. You give me, you give me a deadlift at 90%. I'm going to try to kill myself pulling it for five. Right. You'll give that to a female athlete to pull it for like seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. So when you program for powerlifting, though, do you program in a lot of accessory movements at the end also? Or do you, is that just really coach-based and athlete-based? Or is there a secret sauce out there, so to speak? For me, it's extremely athlete-based. It kind of depends on where people's weak points are. And uh, I'm actually working on an ebook about this. But Travis actually has a good ebook on it called No Weaknesses, where you can basically plug in what your front squat is, what your back squat is, what your bench press is. And it'll kind of show you in those movements based on all those numbers where your weak spot is. So if your front squat's below 80% of your back squat, then it means your quads are weak. So yeah, more accessories for quads would be good. If your deadlift is real weak compared to your squat, it could be a hamstring thing. There's a bunch of stuff you can throw together. But really for me, it's based on the athlete and where their weak spot is. I did strongman a long time before I did powerlifting, which is probably the main reason my squat is not as good as my other movements uh, for where it should be, for where they are. And Travis had me squatting six days a week to bring it up because I was benching 425 and squatting 435. (laughs) (laughs) So so I think in 12 weeks, my squat went to like 550 Uh, or so from 425. And it was just building the motor pattern and and practicing it more. Mm. For females, typically have a lot of accessory work for upper body just because, at least here in the States, it's very... Grow the booty, <laughs> everything like that, right? So, so I'll have female clients that are good squatters. They're strong squatters, like out of the gate, just because they've had eight years of peach emoji workouts. Right. They won't be able to bench like 75 right. pounds. Yeah. So they're squatting 200 pounds. They can't even bench like 75. Well, yeah, we're going to need a lot of upper body musculature to support what we're trying to do. And uh, I'm also a big pick the lowest hanging fruit kind of guy. So accessories on their upper body work is going to be huge for improvement compared to accessories on their lower body work. Mm -hmm. Because powerlifting, you care about the total. It's great. We could probably get your squat heavier. But if I can add 10 pounds to your squat or 30 pounds to your bench with the same effort, why wouldn't I just work on the bench a little more? Have you stayed relatively injury-free throughout your training and competition career? So no, and that's one of the other reasons I've kind of switched more to powerlifting because strongman, the nature of it is it just beats you up and why I don't train events as much anymore. Same reason. It's just everything's awkward and out of position. So you just get beat up more. Um, I had pretty bad back injury. I did a competition where there was a strongman show in the morning and then at the same venue, there was a powerlifting meet in the afternoon. So I'm dumb. So I did both. (laughs) Oh man, that's brutal. And one of the <laughs> one of the strongman events was a six inch deficit deadlift on an axle. So it's really like a seven inch because axles are thicker. Right. So it's like a seven inch deadlift with an axle, four fifty for reps in a minute was the event. Oof. I was going last because I'd won the previous events and I ended up having to pull it seventeen times to win the event. So I did, and it was horrible. <laughs> and like I knew something bad was happening in my back. But I pulled what I needed to pull to win because I'm dumb. And then I ended up not even doing the fifth event in that show because I'd won the first four. And right then I heard Daniel Mason on deck. So I ran and threw my singlet on and went and squatted. 
and just ended up pulling my opener on deadlift just a little heavier than I was intending just because I knew the back was gone, pulling some muscles and shredding some tissue back there. So it was about a year before I could pull over 500 again. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was 2017. So I'm basically right now back to where I was before I hurt my back. Okay. And then I've had random shoulder things, but I mean, I guess relatively injury free. What are some of the things that have helped repair the back or just keep that strong going through or some of the favorite accessory moves that you find kind of help prevent some of those things from recurring? So lots more hamstring work, Um, whereas females tend to have great hamstrings and and great glutes after they get into fitness because of all the workouts they do. Guys are kind of the opposite. That's that's nature of the game, right? You got to have your mirror muscles. You can't see your hamstrings in the mirror, so... So yeah, I've always been kind of a weaker hamstring guy, which means I do a lot more with my lower back and my deadlifts even now. So I've been focusing a lot more on hamstring work to even that out a little bit. And then part of my issue is I coach people to brace when they deadlift and get tight. But I don't think I ever did that until about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> so like you'd see me pull and you're like, what is he doing? Like my lower back would stay pretty flat, but everything above my lower back is like super rounded. So I still fight that. So I've been doing just a lot more rear half of my body work kind of shore some of that up. I pulled mixed grip and I still pull mixed grip for uh, anything under three reps. That created a little bit of imbalance, a little bit of a a torque. For those that don't know, you got one hand under, one hand over. Your grip is less of a factor. But that can actually, if you do it long enough, without any corrective actions or without a lot of upper back work, you're going to create a little bit of a helicopter effect. And that was the issue more than anything in my training is you could see me pulling unbalanced because of that. So I switched to hook grip for a while hated that. So now I just do uh, I do straps for anything over three reps. Okay. And then three reps and under, I'll do mixed grip. Nice. Yeah, that totally makes sense with that mixed grip, especially if you don't ever switch. <laughs> it's funny. I was having that conversation with someone at the gym and with Hayat Because today. you mix after I, every yeah, rep. Yeah, I mix. Yeah. What I tend to do is if I'm doing anything that's six reps or four reps, I'll go one rep, right hand up, left hand down, and I just switch after every single rep. Try and keep it good and Anything under 355, I'm mm-hmm. um, hook gripping it. You know, it sucks, but right. you know, you got to do what you hate. So, yeah, I hook gripped 635, my best hook grip wow. ever. I think I had more in me. It's just wow. don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty horrible. Well, yeah. I discovered straps yesterday. They're amazing. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> so hard. Um, you'll start believing in yourself more than you should. I always felt really badass was when I could get them on like myself and I didn't have to have anybody help me. Right? <laughs> oh no, my coach that was always was like, yelling oh, yeah, at me. you were like, yes. Now they got the figure eights where you don't have to hold the bar anymore. <laughs> it's a new, you see new those? level. What, the hooks? I saw the hooks. I bought the hooks once. Yeah, I threw the hooks oh, yeah. up and I was doing pull ups. I was like, oh, this shit's great. And then I tore my forearm and I was like, oh, this shit sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just kind of sitting there dangling, doing pull-ups. And this was years ago. It was just stupid. (laughs) So I've seen too many people pass out and then like they can't let go of the bar. Whereas all my straps will come undone. Yeah. That's not fun. No. So we talked about the strongman training. We talked about the powerlifting training. What about the MMA or the fighter training? What's the fight scene like now in terms of training methodology in the States? I can speak to kind of what it was back when I was doing it. I was kind of 2002 to 2000. 
nine ish. So it was before people were good. Uh, my first three pro fights, we didn't have gloves. <laughs> we're talking back in the day where I'm sure training was even dumber than it is now sometimes. But yeah, I can speak to like what I see on videos and things and, and what I did. For me, I was always pretty explosive. So we never did a ton of like explosive work with me. We did a lot of strength endurance work and just general conditioning work. I was always more of a stand-up fighter, like a kickboxer. I learned enough jujitsu to like stand back up so I can knock people out. <laughs> so a lot of mine was like how to keep distance and just how to keep moving and keep your hands up when you're tired, that kind of work. You talked to me a little bit about how a lot of training now, there's it's almost like a CrossFit mix, right? Like you're doing yeah, like yeah, 20 box jumps. There's been a lot of that in this region where it's like, because I mean, everything's on the gram now, right? So they're putting their fighters up there. Right. Or they're putting right. their athletes up there. And it's like box jump after box jump or wind sprint after wind sprint. I was trained when I was younger. It was like, all right, you do three, gain that explosiveness for what your goal is. And then you go from there. It's not just everything in the kitchen. That was safe. exactly what I was. I would ask as a trainer looking at an athlete is why are we doing what we're doing? If you're doing sets of 20 on box jump, it's for conditioning. It's not for explosiveness. Because yeah, after two or three, explosive. you're done being explosive. Or you didn't try <laughs> to begin with, right? Like if you still have juice at 20, then you weren't trying yeah. at one through 17. So yeah, if your goal is to train explosiveness, you know, seated box jumps, single leg box jumps to something relatively high, yet safe and comfortable. I remember when I was running the CrossFit gym, we stopped doing wads that had a bunch of box jumps in them. Just because I don't like seeing a lot of shins right. split for no reason. Even if you're paying attention, like <laughs> after the 20th box jump on the third round, you're... Yeah, oh, I still have mix. scars. And it was almost like an initiation thing. Like it became like a thing with <laughs> right? people like crazy. Like, Wait, you're <laughs> yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. People actually, well, actually miss the box? Okay, well, we have the little oh, nice yeah. cushiony boxes. So Yeah, you guys have fancy boxes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have no, like the straight metal bar no, ones. Yeah, that we don't have like, that. <laughs> or the ones legit made out of plywood right. that I screwed together yep, myself. 100%. 100%. Definitely. That if I did now, I'd probably just like fall through. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's safe if they're soft. Yeah. But like still, I can think of 20 other ways to build conditioning and, and lung capacity better None than 20 boxes. Yeah. Yeah, no, understandable. Here's another question. I'm a baseball player. So we always had, you know, you had your coach, then you had the pitching coach, you had whatever. A bunch of guys essentially as coaches. You usually had like three guys in the dugout and everyone with their specialty. Now with fighting... Would you want the same kind of like a head coach and then a jujitsu kickboxing or would it just be you would have one strength coach that, you know, manages it? How does that really work? Like, how does that work over in the States compared to over here? So in the States, if you're good and you're at like a pretty high level, and I even started to get into this a little bit, even way back then where no one was really at a high level. You would have many different coaches for the specific things. Like I know a lot in this day and age in my current format, I'm like an expert in strength stuff, right? So if I'm an expert in that field, and I kind of know good stuff about endurance, I mean, do you want me coaching both? Or you want that guy coaching the specific thing they're actually good at? Yeah. And I think that works extremely well, as long as those coaches communicate with each other, or the athlete does a really good job about telling the coaches what the rest of their program looks like. Because in MMA, there's so many facets. Same thing with CrossFit. You might have a gymnastics coach. You might have a, an endurance guy. You might have a strength guy. I don't know how they roll at the top levels there. But they would all kind of need to know what each other's doing so that you can recover from what you're doing. And 
I feel like in MMA, almost everyone in MMA that has separate coaches for stuff isn't doing that right. At the highest levels, I'm sure they do because a lot of places in the States will have like a camp. So you'll have like America Top Team and they'll have a guy that's a ground expert that works there, um, a conditioning guy that works there. So they'll have their own specialty coaches in-house and then everything kind of rolls together. But until you're at that level, it's just, I think it's really hard to coordinate all that. Yeah, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see across all three sports? Powerlifting, strongman, and competitive fighting. Yeah, so the older I get, the more I respect overtraining and the ability to get there. And, you know, I love the saying like, oh, there's no overtraining, it's just overeating. I mean, you've never overtrained then because like if you actually overtrain, it will have an impact on how you recover and how often you get injured. So I think especially for newer people in any of those three sports, that's probably the biggest thing I see people are doing wrong is, especially if you're talking MMA or CrossFit or even Strongman, there's so many things to get good at. They try to do everything all at once and just run themselves in the ground. Powerlifting, you'll see it too, but it's more of a, they just try to max stuff out and test too often. So I think recovery is probably the biggest piece I'm sure there's a lot of other little nitpicky things we could get into as well, but that's the lowest hanging fruit for sure. I would agree on that because I think CrossFit, number one, like it just exposes you to so many different things. Like it kind of brought back the gymnastic (laughs) rings and, you know, even the barbell in a sense. And so I think, especially for people that are new, so even if you're not competing, like at a new level, every day is almost a PR when you're learning new skills like that. And so it's really easy for people to get wrapped up in that and be like, oh my God, now I need to work on this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And then they get this skill and it's like, okay, what's the level X level of that? And it does it. A lot of people burn out. And so it's kind of interesting when you talk about you know, running a CrossFit gym and then transitioning more into the strength thing. It's funny now that I'm back in the States, I am seeing a lot of my old CrossFit contacts and gyms that I had, and they all are kind of like gearing towards basic strength jam of what they used right. to be and just powerlifting. Cause I think <clears throat> a lot of people know that they need to build strength, but I also think people are getting kind of overwhelmed with so many things that they need to do. Well, in CrossFit can be pedal the metal so hard, so quick, mm-hmm. it can burn you out. I would say another thing about CrossFit that I don't think is a bad thing at all. I always say CrossFit's the most fun training I ever right. had in my life. It, it literally is. And if it would get me an 800-pound deadlift, I would just do wads all day, every day. I liked that suffering, which is why I I think why I like strongman a little bit too, because you get some events where it's like, hold this as long as you can. So you just try to out-suffer people. Like, I love that shit. That's good. (laughs) But I think CrossFit does a great job of exposing people who maybe haven't been to the gym before to a lot of aspects of training, whether it's gymnastics, strength, Olympic lifting, general endurance training. There's a lot of running and sprints things too. There's a lot of assault bite work. So it exposes people to basically every avenue of fitness you can pursue. And I feel like after you've done it for a few years, you either just love all of it and keep doing CrossFit, or you figure out what pieces of all the things it exposed you to you like or that you're good at and then gravitate toward those. And that was how it was with me. I love CrossFit. But as much as I love CrossFit, I realized there was some pieces of it I really sucked at (laughs) and then some pieces I was really good at naturally. And we're always going to want to try to work on and pursue the things that we have a chance to win stuff at, right? Um, And I think that's pretty true for a lot of people that have been in it for a few years. No, it's true. Right on, dude. Now, you've owned a lot of gyms. You know, you've been, you know, you've you've been a gym owner, trainer, coach, everything. In the fitness industry, what are some of the things that you would change if you could change them right now? Man, I'm programming right now for a guy that's wanting to get into powerlifting and he sees me training like I have specialty bars. I'll train with bands and chains sometimes. I'll sprinkle in strongman stuff just because I get bored and I'm 
I'm good enough at the things we're trying to get good at that like I can go back to him and still be good at him. But if I have him running a pretty basic five by five with some accessory work right now, and he's like, I want to do all the cool stuff. Okay, well, we can throw those in for accessories, but really, like, you don't know how to bench, squat, or deadlift. So we need to probably get <laughs> relatively heavy loads of those movements. You know, you got to earn the fun stuff to some degree. But man, the worst is when people are looking to just lose some pounds, which is, you know, the most common client you're going to get is like the, okay, well, what about keto? Okay, well, what about carb backloading? Okay, well, what about this diet or this diet or this cleanse? Other than cleanses, I will say all of them freaking work. <laughs> you just have to find out what one follows the basic principles that work well that you can stand doing for like six months right. to a year. So if keto works better than anything else for you, but you just have to eat carbs or you just hate every second of life, well, why the hell would you do keto? <laughs> so true. Like you can do it for two weeks, lose like 10 pounds of water weight, and then like go back to doing whatever you were doing before. Like you got to find something that makes sense for you. Some people love counting macros. Some people hate counting macros. If you hate counting oh, yeah. macros, <laughs> why is someone giving you a, a macro counting diet? Like it just yeah. doesn't going to work. So who's the ideal client for you? So my ideal client, and I, love, I have a couple guys that I work with this, is uh, divorced dudes that are like middle age. <laughs> so like, I got divorced. So specific. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. That is Dude, no, it, it is. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm happy to help anyone hit whatever goals yeah. they want. But if you say, hey, who is your yeah. favorite guy to mess with? It is the divorced guy that's like 38 to 45. Because shoot, I was that guy. I got divorced three years ago now. Okay. And I hadn't dated in 11 years apps weren't a thing. Like, I don't know any of this. So you're entering this brave new world of like, who the heck knows what's going on. Right. And a lot of these guys haven't been off the couch in seven years. And so it's just starting from scratch and seeing them kind of expose themselves to this whole new life. And then all of a sudden, they were feeling like crap and not confident when they were married. And then they got divorced. Now they feel even less confident because they weren't good enough to keep their wife or whatever it was. And then you see them start changing their appearance and just changing their confidence level and all of a sudden having success in an avenue of life that they thought they were done having success with 20 years ago. It's just kind of cool yeah, to see. That was pretty special. And that's that confidence building. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You talk about these people who have these kind of shallow goals of like, oh, I want to lose five pounds. But really, right. it comes down to, yeah, that level of confidence that they want to feel. So that's cool that you've got an ideal person that you relate to and kind of cross them over into the dark side <laughs> you don't get very many of them though because yeah guys are the worst i'll do like facebook ads for i'm, I'm training out of a gym here like actually on location yeah. now so i start putting facebook ads out and i have one that's geared toward women one that's geared toward men just so i can track the differences women are like um, three times more likely to click that ad and say yeah i want right. some help than guys are just because we're so stubborn and think we know everything <laughs> So yeah, I don't get to work with that guy very often, but when it does, I'm pretty like, special. Yes. <laughs> so one more question before we we kind of wrap up: If someone wants to get into strongman, right? And this is a question basically for me because I I love strongman. Like I I just love lifting heavy shit and like throwing a friggin' log up and just getting it up and rolling it up the chest with some weight on. It's freaking awesome. It's the best feeling I've ever had. All in the, the events world. look cool, <laughs> <laughs> but dude. Strongmen are fucking strong, dude. Like, <laughs> shit. Like, I could never compete in a strongman because I just can't. I got to a certain point. It's like, all right, well, when I see these dudes on TV or I see these dudes, like, I'm going to get my ass handed to me. Right. So, like, how do you break into that? I mean, like, I get my ass you... handed to me by them, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how it is internationally, but in the U.S., uh, they have what's called open division, which has weight classes. 
but then those are going to be the stronger folks that are looking to qualify for nationals or worlds, things like that. But the novice division is actually basically like how CrossFit you have RX and you have scaled. Yeah. yeah. There's essentially scaled divisions in powerlifting competitions or sorry, in strongman competitions over here. Now, that being said, I was talking to, you know, Brandon Lilius. He was big back in like 2010, 2012. Yeah. But I was at a seminar that he was running and he did some strongman, but then he did a lot in powerlifting and we were talking about powerlifting and strongman. And he said, yeah, powerlifting is a sport of want. You get to choose your numbers. You want to hit those numbers. You want to hit a, a personal best. And he said, but strongman's a case of need. Here's the weight. Can you lift it? Can you not? You're going to get a zero on that event if you can't. So figure it out, which is kind of like CrossFit too. Like if you can do a muscle up or you can't do a muscle up, it's pretty definite. But strongman is just like that with the weight. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the time, man. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.